together this morning. Uh, about a month ago, we had a sermon from the book of Colossians. It was all my, always my desire to do at least two of those. And so I want to bring together Colossians and a very specific theme. So we look at the Bible on this very specific subject, which is the subject of work. That's the two things I want to bring together, work and Colossians. Now, dear friends, when you look at the book of Colossians, then what you think about is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Listen, when Jesus came to earth, he did not cease to be God. When he returned to heaven, he did not cease to be man. Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? When Jesus came to earth, he did not cease to be God. When he returned to heaven, he did not cease to be man. Jesus Christ. Seek Christ and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. Seek Christ and you will find him today, dear friend, and with him everything else thrown in. These are quotes from various people, like uh, that was Lewis, this is Kuiper. He said this, There is not a thumb's breadth of this universe about which Jesus Christ does not say, It is mine. Not a square inch of the universe, except that Jesus Christ says, it's mine. Or Augustine, he values not Christ at all who does not value Christ above all. You, you don't, in, in a sense, you don't know Christ if you don't value him above all. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ I have a great Christ for my need. That's your confession this morning? My friend, is that your confession? I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. What a simple and wonderful saying that is. Well, I want to speak to you this morning about work. Look again at the text. Look at verse 23, if you will. Colossians 3, 23. Oh, and I do hope to encourage you this morning. Whatever you do, Paul says, here it is. Here, here's the message this morning. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You know I love church history, and I love to share with you church history. This is a great one. Puritan pastor John Carter once visited a tanner who was busily employed in the humble work of tanning a hide. Giving him a pleasant tap on the shoulder, the man startled, looked behind him, and with a blushing countenance said, Sir, I am ashamed that you should find me thus. Carter, Puritan pastor John Carter, responded, Oh, let Christ, when he cometh, find me so doing. And the man said, What? What? Doing this? Doing what I'm doing? Yes, faithfully performing the duties of my calling. John Carter goes to this humble tanner, 
He's a humble tanner. He's tanning a hide. John Carter taps him on the shoulder. Oh, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that you see me here tanning this hide. Oh, he says, oh, that when Jesus comes, Jesus is coming, my friend. The Lord Jesus is soon to return. He said, oh, that the Lord Jesus would find me doing likewise. Doing exactly what you're doing. Maybe not tanning a hide, but what? Listen, being faithful in my calling. That's the encouragement in so many ways this morning. My dear Christian friend, my Christian brother and sister, be faithful in your calling in light of the return of Christ. Be faithful in your calling in light of the return of Christ. Let me give you to start with four things to start off this morning. Let's jump right into those if we could. Number one is this, Jesus Christ is supreme. The preeminence of Christ. Glance with me at chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might what? He might be preeminent, or he might be first place. Listen, look. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to point out these four things to you somewhat quickly. Number one, Jesus Christ is supreme. The preeminence of Christ More of these little sprinkled quotes here about Jesus Christ. What's Colossians about? Not just because it's a New Testament book of the Bible or because it's a book of the Bible, but Colossians uniquely, uniquely is about the Savior. Uniquely has a focus on Jesus Christ. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy but the Father for love. When Jesus bowed his head and dying took our place, the veil was rent, a way was found to that pure home of grace. Jesus Christ, number one, Jesus Christ is supreme. Number two, he is and must be supreme in our work. Look at chapter three again. Same verse we just read a minute ago. Number two, he is and must be supreme in our work. Paul says, even to us today, chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
So keep that heading in mind. That's the one that we want to come back to. That's the one where we want to land, okay? Number one, Jesus Christ is supreme, chapter 1, 15 through 20. Number two, he must be, and he is, if you're a believer, supreme in our work, chapter 3. Number three, he is supreme in our affections, in our doctrine, and in our duty. Jesus Christ, it's all about Christ, Christ. Christ is lovely. Christ is altogether lovely. It's all about Jesus. He is, if you're a believer this morning, look at me. If you're a believer, he is supreme in our affections, in our doctrine and in our duty. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Colossians 3, 1 through 5. If then, or or excuse me, 1 through 4, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 4, 4, 3, 3, 4, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I won't camp out there very long. I'll just say that that's a wonderful hinge passage. It's a wonderful hinge passage, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Why do I say it's a wonderful hinge passage? Because it opens the door on the rest of the little book, 3, 5, and following. We've got to keep that in mind with what we're looking at today here in a moment. And it also swings the door back on what has come. It introduces our duty, and it also says it's not by works. It's, first of all, according to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Paul is concerned, the New Testament is concerned with our theology and with our ethics. The New Testament is concerned with our belief and with our behavior. Both, both are important. And one comes before the other. Doctrine comes before duty. Is the Lord Jesus Christ supreme in your affections this morning? I don't ask, is he supreme, first of all, in your will? I don't ask, is he supreme, first of all, only in your mind? But he is supreme in our affections. Number four, this is chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12 and following. I told you I wanted to start with these four things. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. I wonder if that would resonate even with somebody here this morning, even even within this body. Verse 13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This point number four is this, Jesus Christ and the chosen holy people of God. Jesus Christ and the chosen holy people of God. Friends, in verse 12, he talks about election and he talks about sanctification. 
And this is kind of the, this is the foundation of everything for the believer. Yes, we can talk about growing in holiness. Yes, we can talk about growing in sanctification. That's not what he talks about here. In verse 12, look in chapter 3, verse 12. When he calls the believers holy and beloved, he's not saying, and, and hopefully you're going to get holy. No, do you see? He calls them holy. He calls them holy. And through Jesus Christ, you are holy. He's saying you are sanctified in Jesus, in him. In him, you are sanctified. Again, we can talk about growing in holiness. That's not his point right here. And he talks about not only sanctification, he talks about election. This is the foundation. This is the foundation upon which we build. He's talking about putting on these clothes in verse 12. Put on then. I'm going to tell you some things that you need to put on. I'm going to encourage you to walk in kindness and humility and meekness. But you can't do that unless you are one of God's elect people. Put on then as God's chosen ones, as those who are already sanctified, holy and beloved. So, so what? I, don't, I didn't want to just talk about work this morning, narrowly defined. I want to talk about Jesus Christ because we're in Colossians. Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is supreme in our affections. Jesus Christ and the chosen holy people of God. Let's camp out on that second one that I gave you. Let's camp out there. What was it again? He is and must be supreme in our work. He is and must be supreme in our work. Look at it with me again. Verse 23 of chapter 3. Two words. Kind of in the middle there. What does he say? Work heartily. Work heartily. Now this comes in a context that we need to pay attention to this context. I think, I think we can not do uh, uh, injustice to the text. I think we can easily apply this to us this morning. I think we can look at verse 23. And we, of course we want to be careful never just to take a verse and just pop it out of context. But I think we can look at verse 23 and say, that's our verse this morning. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. But of course, we also want to notice the context. He's speaking in context to slaves, to bond servants. Look with me at verse 22 and get this context. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing, not hoping, not guessing, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, if you're trekking with me, who's he talking about? Is he talking about the master or is he talking about the slave? I think he's talking about both, probably primarily the slave. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. It actually keeps going into the next chapter. Uh, look at the Word of God, Colossians 4.1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing you also have a master in heaven. 
Now I'm speaking to my dear fellow members this morning. I started off by saying, I'm John, this is Ben, there's four elders here. The most fundamental thing, as I've said to you before, is that we are, we are members before we are elders. I'm speaking to you this morning, and I'm not going to hit everybody, but this morning I'm speaking to people who work at the hospital, who work in some type of hospital support. I'm speaking this morning to homemakers. I'm speaking to teachers. I'm speaking to those who are employed in the service of our country, and we thank you and we love you at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. Maybe it's directly in the jet or in some supportive role, all of which is awesome, and we're grateful. I speak this morning to farmers, to those who are retired and labor in unpaid ways. I'm speaking to you this morning. Maybe you drive a truck. Maybe you are in between jobs. Maybe you're a student. I want you to listen because God has called you now not to despise your student days, but to what? To work as a student, which is wonderful preparation for future work, but is also your work now. I speak to lawyers or attorneys. I speak to those who work with computers, to those, as I've said, like teachers who are in education. I'm missing some, I know, forgive me. I'm speaking to those who may be in construction or remodeling of some sort. I speak to those who may work in a plant or a factory, who may be self-employed, who may in one way or another work in the realm of insurance. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, would you listen and look, Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, he says to believers, he says to you, my Christian brothers or sisters, work heartily. Don't work for men. I'm just saying what I think is very plain in the text. Does he not say there, not for men? Is that, is that not what it says? Do not work for men. Now, in one sense, don't, don't twist the scripture to, well, he says don't work for men. Okay, don't be silly, right? We work for men, men being the generic term. You may work at the pharmacy and your boss may be a lady or, or whatever. We work for men in general. Work for men. Paul knows that. But nevertheless, his point is this. Do not work for men. Don't work for men. But what is the, I think the heart of what he says, heart, is to work heartily. Work with your soul. Work with soul-deep energies. Because, by the way, chapter 4, verse 1, masters of slaves, you better watch yourself because you have a master in heaven. You think you're the be-all, end-all? You're an employer here this morning, who, or you're, you're in a pretty high-up place on base, and God has entrusted to you a pretty decent degree of authority. You're, you're what we may call today a master or an employer. Remember, you have a master in heaven who is the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying here in this passage is he is not only addressing parents. Listen, he's not only addressing parents and husbands and masters. He is addressing as those who are on equal footing, equal footing in the Christian household. In the Christian household, he is directly addressing wives, slaves, and children. Do you see? And when he addresses them, he addresses these, what we might call the lesser members in the relationship. You see my quotes there. He addresses what we might call the lesser members in the relationship. He addresses them first and he addresses them directly. He addresses them as on equal footing, I say, in the Christian household. Not only do you have masters, but Paul says, my dear 
fellow bondservant in Christ. Let me speak to you, you bondservants. Or we might say today, you employees. He says, children, let me speak to you, children. Obey your parents in the Lord, to use the words of Ephesians. And let me not only say a word to your parents, let me address the parents, but let me speak to you, children. Wives, let me speak a word to you, wives. And not only to husbands. Look at the larger context with me, if you will. Verse 18, this passage, this text, is Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. That's the unit, okay? That's the paragraph, the unit. Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Are you getting this? Children, children, obey your parents in everything. For, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Can I stop for just a moment? By the way, verse 24, as he spoke, as he spoke in that context, speaking to bond servants, they would not receive an inheritance in this life. Bond servants in that day would not receive an inheritance, but Paul says, Two bond servants, I love you. You're my brother and sister in Christ, just like anybody else. He says, you're going to get inheritance way better than any earthly king. Your inheritance is what? It's eternal life. Your inheritance is eternal life, far better than the inheritance of any earthly king. Keep reading with me, verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I don't know if you have heard the story of the son who did not want to go to church. I came across it this week. I want to share it with you. I loved it. The son who did not want to attend church. He hid up in his room. His mother called to him. It's time to go to church. He refused to come downstairs. It's time, his mother shouted again. He bellowed back, I don't want to go. I have no friends. No one likes me. You have to, his mother responded. Why, he said, because, his mother insisted, you're the pastor and you're preaching. Josh Moody says, joking aside, I doubt there are many pastors who relish preaching on this particular passage today because, of course, it begins with wives submit to your husbands as is fitting on the Lord. I think he's right. There's not many pastors who just relish. And, and by the way, don't you want to be my friend since you can see here how lonely I am and how I don't have any friends and my mom calls me every Sunday morning to get me here. But we see the context, right? You see the con, and you can see how this could be a difficult passage. Man, the word of God is awesome and powerful. And this is so cheap to even use it. It's relevant. Relevant 
It's the word of God. Of course it's relevant. It's sufficient. It's sufficient. It's good enough. It's way more than good enough for us today. Oh, this passage is tough. I mean, it talks about slaves and it talks about women submitting. And what, you know, what are you going to do with this? In one sense, you don't, you don't worry about it. It's the word of God. You see what it has to say. You think about the context. We be careful this morning not to just say, well, Paul was obviously speaking directly to 21st century employees and employers. No, we're talking about the implications. We're talking about the application of this passage, which, of course, was originally addressed to wives and husbands, to children and to fathers, to bondservants and to masters. I want to show you something really cool about this passage. We're talking about work. In just a minute, I want to show you super quickly work in the whole Bible. But we're not only talking about work. That's why I wanted us to look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Because Paul, he's certainly not saying work your way into heaven, and he's also not even saying to believers work and just keep up your righteousness. It all comes back in one sense to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And it's all Colossians is just Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The supremacy, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. He is first place. Is he first place in your life? The good news of the gospel teaches us that Jesus willingly. So you got to get this part of the gospel. So it's not like somebody twisting. You, know, you can do that to your little brother. You can give him an, an arm burn or whatever. But nobody was twisting the arm of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel tells us that he willingly laid down his life. He's fully man. And so, yes, he said, my God, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he willingly goes to what we call Calvary. He willingly goes uh, to Golgotha, and he goes and he lays down his life as a substitute for sinners. He, he bore the wrath of God in your place for everyone who will repent and believe. It's all about Jesus. And if at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if it's not all about Jesus in your life, you know me, you don't have to be super spiritual. I don't like that in one sense. But if, if it's not all about Jesus, at the end of the day in your life, this is about holiness. If holiness doesn't permeate your life at home, fathers, mothers, children, bondservants, employees, holiness through Jesus Christ, holiness. If your life is not fundamentally in your affections about Jesus Christ, then you need to know him. You need to come to know him. He laid down his life for you so that if you repent and believe, you will have a clear conscience. And the forgiveness of sin, the wrath of God was poured out on the head of his son, Jesus. Do you believe this morning? You must repent and believe. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is coming again. All of this, all of this is in light of his soon coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? I said I was going to show you something cool. And look, there's nine verses here, okay? 3.18 to 4.1. That's nine verses. And you might just expect, might you not, that if Colossians is about Jesus Christ, 
and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You might expect that that would not stop when he gets to the practical sections. If it's all about the Lord, maybe we could expect that that would just continue. Nine verses, seven times. If you want to get what he's talking about, I'm going to read it. Seven times. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Number one. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything. For this pleases the Lord. Number two. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That's number three. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. You see? You see what he's doing here? And not for men. Knowing, verse 24, that from the Lord, that's number five, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. If you're a, if you're a slave, don't think you can joke around and sin against your master. You also can't do that if you're a master. Verse 1 of chapter 4, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So I guess we just had six. No, 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 not just six, right? Number seven, you have a master in heaven. Very simple, right? Very simple. I hope you notice that. What's the point? What is the point? Nine verses, seven references in one way or another to the Lord. Here's the point. Your work, my fellow Christian, is all for him, and it's all by his power. Your work, your labor in the Lord, work is a good thing. Work is not a bad thing. Work is not the result of the curse. Work is a, listen to me, work is a good thing. And laziness and idleness are bad things. Rest is good. Rest is good. Work is good. Seven times. And that's why you just notice, it's not like a humongous flashing light, but seven times, right? So like wives, you need to submit to your husband, but ultimately... Ultimately, in the Lord, right? As is fitting in the Lord. And, and children, you need to obey your parents. You need to obey your parents. Well, and how much? In everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. Your work, whatever it is, your work is all for the Lord, and it's all empowered by the Lord. For from him and through him and to him are all things the centrality of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Even the centrality of Jesus Christ in Colossians doesn't take away from God the Father. Look at verse 17. Please look at verse 17. In case we didn't get the message. Listen, in case we thought, well, John, verse 23 comes in the context of talking about slaves and masters. And, and right here this morning, that's not our context. Agree. I'm still saying verse 23 is our verse. But in case, you know, look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, what? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Oh, Thanksgiving's coming. Thanksgiving is coming. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look back at verse 16. Look at the middle of verse 16. You want to know why we've been singing psalms lately? It says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. You don't know I'm in a job that I don't want to be in. I don't like my job, and in two years I'd like to be out of my job and be, I've got a plan, or I'm trying to work on a plan. You know, to be honest with you, in two days I'd love to be out of my job. You don't know. Yeah, that's right in one sense. I definitely don't know. In one sense, it'd be foolish of me to claim to be right in your shoes. But I do know this. I do know this. He says in verse 17 again, he says, Give thanks to God the Father through him. And I'll just use this old phrase, Wherever you are planted, then bloom for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you are where he's called you to be. And if you can quote, listen, if you can get your freedom, if you can get your freedom and you, you hate your job, well, at least you know, unless you're in some sinful occupation, God never puts his blessing on, on any type of sinful occupation. But where you are now, listen to me, is where God has called you to be. You say, how can you say that? Well, I can't say that 110%, but I can say it 99.9%. Where you are now is where God has called you to be, at least now. And I'm applying this, as Paul said to slaves, if you can get your freedom, if you hate your job, if it's miserable, listen, as I say, the Word of God still says, it still says, give thanks. Give thanks. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, do you want to compare yourself with the original context that he's writing about here with these bond servants and these masters? Is that what you want to, want to do? No, of course we don't. By the way, the scripture never ever commends slavery. It never commends slavery. It regulates the institution of slavery. And scripture also is the very thing, of course, that gave rise to this movement that we think about uh, in, in Great Britain uh, 200 years ago. Wilberforce is the name I'm trying to think of in all of these. It is, it is scripture that propels us forward to a much more God-honoring stance. Are you content today? The Lord in so many ways is way more concerned. Are you content? marriage and your family and your job and your there's such a sense that according to the New Testament he's way more interested in that than if you go and save the masses in Africa or go be a missionary or whatever way more interested whatever you do look at it verse 23 work heartily as for the Lord and not for men hospital worker farmer Truck driver, student, student, lawyer, homemaker, military man. Self-employed brother, sister, whatever you do, whatever you do. Let me share with you for just a moment.
stay with me for, give me a, a few minutes. Let me give you just very quickly some principles from the whole Bible on work. Principles from the whole Bible on work. You ready? We'll go through these quickly. Number one, work in itself is good and pleasing to God. Work in and of itself is good and pleasing to God. We need to say that. Number two, there is such a thing as unpaid work. Much work receives no monetary compensation, but it is valuable nonetheless. Like, for example, a homemaker caring for home and children or volunteer work in the church and other organizations or school is unpaid work. Next thing, the sluggard in Proverbs exemplifies the foolishness of lazy people. I was going to look at a few of those passages. We're not going to do it. You know, some of them are very serious and very hilarious at the same time. The sluggard in Proverbs exemplifies the foolishness of lazy people. Next, why did God give us productive work to do? Why did he give us productive work to do? Number one, the satisfaction that comes from productive work and earned success. The privilege of creating something new. The privilege of creating value. The privilege of supporting ourselves. Individuality. Here's another big principle. Work became more difficult and included pain after the fall. We've got to get scripture here. We've got to get the, script, the biblical worldview. Work became more difficult and included pain after the fall. All of these are summarized by our brother who's blessed with such clarity. It's Wayne Grudem. These are principles from scripture that he lays out. Yet, we can still find joy in work. Oh, the men read this book so many years ago on Ecclesiastes. No, no. After the fall, work became more difficult and included pain. Yet we can still find joy in work. We should work to please the Lord in every occupation, unless it's sinful. God calls different people to a wide variety of jobs or vocations. Work also presents many temptations to sin. Work presents many temptations to sin. Like what? like being argumentative or disagreeable or stealing from your employer, laziness and carelessness in work. No, we, we want to say excellence for the glory of God, right? Overworking, self-reliance. Those would be temptations to sin in our work. He says we should take regular times of rest from our work. We should take regular times of rest from our work. We've taught this here. I'll keep saying it. In one sense, there is ultimately no sacred and secular division. What am I saying? Martin Luther. Martin, go study the doctrine of vocation. Don't just talk about work. Think about callings. Think about vocation. Read Gene Veith's book about vocation. Martin Luther. A dairymaid can milk cows to the glory of God. A dairymaid can milk cows to the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, missionary, sacred and secular. A dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. I've given you a lot of quotes. Here's another one. A dictionary is the only place where you will find success before work. Now, that's not a Christian quote, but Paul says, right, don't be idle. 
Don't be lazy. Rest is a good thing. Rest. We, you and I, we are not God. God is God. Thank goodness. He is God and we are not. God rested on the seventh day, not because he was exhausted. He had finished his work. And the finished work of Christ is complete. And as I read this passage and I think about, yeah, the original context of of what we're looking at of slavery, I also know that the New Testament says we were once slaves to sin, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, we have now become what? Slaves of righteousness, slaves of Christ. So I appeal to you this morning, my fellow slaves of Christ, bond servants of Christ, work heartily, work from your soul. What are you doing this week? What do you got this week? What are you doing? A lot of different things, right? A lot of different things. Work heartily for the Lord. Whatever you do, don't don't work for men. Don't work for men. One suggestion that's been given is just to take a three-by-five card and write on it, working with all my heart for the Lord, not for people. Put it at your desk at work or your desk at home or on your fridge in the kitchen. Working with all my heart for the Lord, not for people. Remember, my dear fellow Christian, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. He laid down his life for you willingly. If you're not in Christ this morning, you are facing only an eternity apart from God under his wrath in hell. Would you bow the knee to King Jesus and understand that even in this fallen world, Ecclesiastes, our work is not futile. Find enjoyment in your work through Jesus Christ. He is the only master with a capital M. Let us work and witness. Let us work and witness. Let's pray together. Father, Labor Day is in our rearview mirror. But let us never forget Labor Day in the sense that Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Forgive us, Father. We continue our prayer of confession. We confess that we can be prone to work half-heartedly. We confess that we work for men only. We confess that we don't really think about the second coming of Christ and how that motivates us. It's not really a part of our daily modus operandi. Lord, we confess that we may work and do a great job in certain things, and in other things we may feel like they're not really that spiritual, and so we, we just do what we can when the boss is looking, and we're people pleasers. We confess that we may work by way of eye service only and not with sincerity of heart. Lord, help us to fear the Lord. Unite our hearts to fear you. Help us if we are retired to work because unpaid work is very worthy labor in your kingdom. Help us to work, O God. Help us to rest appropriately. Help us not to overwork. Help us not to be self-reliant. May we work and witness and may we worship. Help us to worship in and through the Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.